Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast set in the year of our Lord 1600. In North Africa, the English mercenary Solomoran Dane raids an Ottoman fortress and overcomes its defenders. Unfortunately, his crew are killed by demons. He fights his way to the throne room, but a demon is waiting for him there, and tells him his soul is forfeit to Satan. No way, says Solomoran, I need that thing, and he jumps out the window. After this, Solomoran returns to England, takes a vow of pacifism, renounces his vow of pacifism, and dedicates himself to defeating the evil sorcerer Salam Samalaka. <laughs> Why did I decide to try to include my name in this? <laughs> Samalakai. <laughs> By fighting bad men with swords. That's approximately similar to what I would be saying if this was a pod adaptation of the 2010 fantasy film Solomon Kane, starring James Purefoy. It would be more accurate to say this is a podcast in which two men in the modern era talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, the sexy, smirking warrior monk, Danny Moran. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) On this week's film chat, Sam reviews colourful action-adventure slash piercing critique of prejudice, Zootropolis. The best film to mix race relations and animals since Rabbit Proof Fence. I assume, I think that's about rabbits, I don't know, I've not seen it. And we both review Critical Darling Victoria, a pulsating Berlin-set relationship drama slash crime thriller, which was all shot in just one astonishing take, or as the Germans say, Eins take. (laughs) It's a film of such technical virtuosity that it makes Birdman look like Batman. Versus Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. Plus, we discuss the news of a second Diablo Cody, Jason Reitman, Charlie's Ferron collaboration and examine the news that award-winning documentarian Alex Gibney is making his transition into fictional filmmaking. All of this should leave me just enough time to play my latest YouTube mashup entitled Haneke Shot First, a compilation of all the awkward pauses and dialogue scenes from all of Michael Haneke's films. Actually, there's no way we can play it. I'm only two films in. It's already 13 hours long. <laughs> it's just unlistenable. Sam, exciting news. Mm. Steph is still listening. 
Steph Mildred is still listening. Theatrical he, gasp. He wrote in and said, I'm still listening and still alive. You still have at least one foreign listener. The show is still great, BTW. Thanks, Steph. Steph. Oh, what a guy. That's a really sweet comment, and we really appreciate it. Thanks, and it's man. really great to hear from you. Yeah. Um, because we thought you just dropped off the radar. And it's good to know that you're still alive and well. And you haven't been harmed. You know, you're still in Hoping. He- healthy. Yeah. How's the family? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost like we're trying trying to make it weird for him. But if anyone else is out there who's listening to our show and does not regularly write in, please do, because we are always keen to hear from more people, both because it's great to have some variety in who writes in, and also because um, we, we don't tiny... want to feel too lonely. Yeah, and I have a huge ego and needs to be regularly massaged. I'm a deeply insecure person and yes. I need people to tell do, me this do you is love worthwhile. Me? Do you love me, internet people? Yeah, I'm a man. <laughs> I need to be praised. I need to be reassured. As uh, Bill Murray says, approximately in Ghostbusters 2 at some point. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, Georgia Mills wrote in. Always great to hear from Georgia. She went to see Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, despite our quite strict warnings um, in the previous episode (laughs) about it being absolutely dreadful. And she has a few questions about aspects of the film. These are spoilery, in part. So, if you do not want to hear anything spoilery discussed, please come back in five minutes and 53 seconds um <laughs> i'll just let i'll just like katie bill it in uh i've just let let her do that extra thing that i made her do, do that katie <laughs> and uh and yeah and then we'll carry on with non-batman related things although from now on every episode will feature a good 10 to 15 minutes of batman v superman related chit chat so just warning you for that Georgia says, Dear Film Chat, just seen Man of Steel 2, colon, whoops. Most of the film was completely incomprehensible, but there were a few things in particular I couldn't get my head around. Here be spoilers, she says, which you already know. So I thought about Georgia's questions in some detail, and I came to realise that Batman v Superman is actually a perfect film made by a sort of godlike genius of a man, and all of the issues she raises are in fact brilliant, um, just aspects of its wondrousness. So Danny, if you can read her questions, and I'll just nail them. Be my pleasure. Question one. Why did Lois Lane, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, think, are you a terrorist, was a good way to begin an interview? Georgia, this is the first rule of journalism, okay? Every good journalist begins every interview with the question, are you a terrorist? It's a very important thing to establish before you interview anyone. It's like on the Today program and Sarah Montague will say, good morning, minister. Are you a terrorist? If they say no, it continues as normal. And if they say yes, you just um, evacuate the building because it's quite dangerous. Question two, was Bruce Wayne such a micromanager that his employees had to wait for his permission before they could leave the collapsing city of death? This is actually quite a subtle and powerful bit of character work that Snyder's doing here, which establishes that Bruce Wayne inspires such passionate devotion among his staff that they would rather die in some kind of apocalyptic 9-11-esque laser event than abandon their posts. He's almost as heroic a CEO as he is a man who dresses as a bat and punches people. And that's important to show. Good point. Next question. Good point. Question three. Why did Batman leave a batarang in the kryptonite case? Did he somehow need it to steal it, or was he just being a silly billy? It's obvious to even the most casual viewer that the kryptonite could only be stolen if it was replaced by an object of equal or much less weight. A bit like that bit at the beginning of Indiana Jones. Okay? And because he put in something that weighed far less than the kryptonite, it prevented the alarms going off and just let him flat out stealthily murder everyone in the room. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so obvious now. Question four. Would Batman have literally murdered Superman if their mothers had had different names? Yes. Unfortunately, the film makes it quite explicit that that would have happened. But I do want to point out that Superman's mum could have had other names that might also have saved his bacon when Batman was threatening him with a kryptonite spear. For example, Alfred. If his mom was called Alfred and he was like, they're going to kill Alfred, then Batman would have been like, what? Why did you say that name? You know, my butler's in danger. What? Yeah. Yeah. Or if his mom was called Batman, (laughs) he would have been like, what? They're going to kill Batman. That's me. Why would that? What? And that would have stopped the fight. Also, he could have been called like, his mom could have been called gay Batman says what? I think that would have distracted Batman for a moment. (laughs) Forced him to admit that he was gay, which would have maybe given Superman an opportunity to escape. Or his mom could have been called (laughs) Eleanor Roosevelt because she's already dead. So if he was like, they're going to kill Eleanor Roosevelt, Batman would have been like, she's dead, man. Like, what are you talking about? Give him the time to calm down. Yeah, and he probably would have like reconsidered his options. That's a a compelling argument you're making here. Question five. What did everything else in the film mean and how was this allowed to happen? It's quite a broad question, Georgia, but I've got the answer for you. It's actually the most meaningful film of all time. And to answer this more fully, um, I will turn to one of the greatest reviewers on the planet, Armand White of the National Review. And you can tell he's brilliant because he disagrees with everyone else. So he's always got a different opinion because he's like, you know, his mind is very large. Yeah. It's larger than that of most humans. And that's why it comes to different answers. So he wrote a very <laughs> gushing review of Batman v Superman about the uh, culture war getting mythic. And I'm going to read a few quotes that I think demonstrates quite conclusively sure. that it's a wonderful film. For example, on the director, he says, Snyder is visionary, inclined to extravagant spectacle and gifted with a signature erotic touch. And when you think about it, the film is probably one of the most erotic films of all time, in addition to being meaningful. He also says, Snyder's thrillingly intelligent use of interior conflict and political antagonism vastly outclasses Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. His essential subject is mankind's struggle to discover compassion as well as common obligation, or dare I use the non-political term, brotherhood. A daring use of the non-political term brotherhood there by Armand White. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I can't improve on that criticism, so I can only say thank you, Mr. White, and good luck in the culture war. <laughs> and finally, question six, Aquaman? That's a good question, Georgia, probably your best one. The answer is clearly Aquaman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is Aquaman. <laughs> Not a lot of people think of that. But anyway, so thank you very much for writing in. Always interesting to discuss a film that I now realize is brilliant. And yeah. Yeah, conclusively answered all those questions there. She must be a sated listener. <laughs> Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. News time, so one of our fave films of last year was Going Clear, the Scientology documentary. Yeah, it was actually. I hope you've all watched because it's well good. And that was directed by Alex Gibney, who is something of a documentarian superstar. He's just made a succession of very good documentaries. Doesn't seem to know what he's doing. Very political ones. Absolutely. He also did Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room, which is really good. Taxi to the Dark Side. He made 
the Armstrong lie, which is excellent. We steal secrets, the WikiLeaks one. Yeah. This is basically how I pretend to know things at dinner parties is by watching his documentaries. If there's any kind of hot button topic for liberals, he's made a documentary about it. Absolutely. And it really saves me actually having to research or <laughs> develop opinions of my own. Yeah. Just watch his stuff. Um, but now he's going to make his first fiction film, which is going to be a political thriller called The Action. Uh, the details we know about is that it's going to be a 70 set film, which will follow eight anti-war activists on the night that Muhammad Ali fought Joe Frazier in 1971, who broke into an FBI office in Pennsylvania and stole files pertaining to the Bureau's surveillance of the operations and other civil rights groups. And it ended up shedding light on J. Edgar Hoover's campaign to wiretap and blackmail potential troublemakers, which is right up his alley, really, because he made a lot of conspiracy related docs. Mm. Um, There's no more conspiratorial decade than the 70s. Yeah, but I'm excited for it because I think he'd make a great fiction filmmaker because his documentaries are sort of typified by taking large, complex subjects and then making them very digestible without mm. being reductive. And giving them a good narrative uh, yeah, momentum. exactly. I mean, if someone told me that Alex Gibney had made Spotlight, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. He probably directed <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. A similar sort of um, cohesive take on things. Yeah, and it's a really cool sounding subject as well. I mean, I don't know much about that story, but it sounds really interesting. And the um, the heist that these guys undertook, they never were never found, right? They were, the culprits weren't discovered no. until they sort of unmasked themselves to the journalist who they'd revealed the um, sort of Hoover um, stuff yeah. uh, to. Exactly. And leaking documents can be more zeitgeisty, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He loves leaked documents Yeah. based on We Steal Secrets, so... It sounds quite exciting. It's also a bit like what Joshua Oppenheimer is doing with his sort of crazy esoteric musical idea. Although this one, you know, the, sorry, maybe that's a bit out of context if you haven't listened to previous film chat <laughs> episodes. Uh, but Joshua Oppenheimer, the director of The Act of Killing and The Look of Silence, who um, we previously reported exclusively by reading <laughs> it from a news website, um, is moved into doing a musical and it's going to be based on a Samuel Beckett play. So it's another sort of um, vaunted serious documentarian who's now doing some kind of fictional, exciting work. Although in this case, Gibney's one sounds a bit more up his regular alley. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I don't think there's ever been a case of like an amazing documentarian who's like made a feature film is like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. There's <laughs> 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 just talking heads for the whole film. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. I feel like even though they're very separate skills, it just seems like if you can make a good documentary, you just got to, the innate storytelling capability. I think like, to re- you know, yeah, I think good skills. documentarian knows how to tell a story. Exactly. And if they have the funding, you know, they got all the professional people to do the sets and stuff. So. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, yeah, I'm psyched. Uh, Danny and I are both fans of the movie Young Adult, which um, is underrated, judging by this uh, news story I'm about to discuss, which references it as though it's not a great movie, but it is pretty good. It's great. Yeah, directed by Jason Reitman and starring Charlie Theron, written by Dablo Cody, who's probably best known for writing Juno. That was a that was a really cool movie, and this trio are getting back together to make another film, so that is a reason to be excited. Very little is known about it, according to Empire, other than that they are all in early talks to reunite for Cody's latest script, which draws on her own life experience and explores motherhood. 
so it's cool it's a bit like because young adult was was that in some way autobiographical or based on Diablo Coe's own experiences or something like that um, or, am I, or am I making that up well I think all the films are sort of just draw on herself this is yeah. like we've had this I've given this rant before, but I think why Young Adult is so good. I'm not a big fan of Juno, which was the first Diablo Cody Jason Reitman collaboration, which got a lot of critical love. I find the character of Juno annoying, and it's obviously a writer in her 30s reimagining a young person. It, you know, just doesn't ring true for me. Yeah. But in Young Adult, that's kind of the point, like because she's this woman stocked in an Arrested Development who's who peaked when she was 18 and is forever the prom queen in her head, and it was. This is a quite a sort of bitchy thing to say, but it was really writing to her weaknesses as a writer. Right, it's like yeah. all the things that I found were flaws in Juno were the point in Young Adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I guess maybe she's, you know, she's progressed as a writer and she's... Well, I was going to say, it sounds like she's just like doing the next stage of life yeah, or yeah, something exactly. like that. But both Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman haven't had a hit since Young Adult. Jason okay. Reitman's made Labor Day and Men, Women and Children, both of which were... Men, Women, and Children was like really panned, right? Yeah, and Labor Day was pretty good or pretty hostile reception. And Diablo Cody made that film uh, Paradise. Remember that? No, not at all. Exactly. 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 <laughs> exactly. It was her directorial debut. Uh, had Russell Brand in it. Remember it that? Jesus. Paradise? No, I've never heard of this. It sounds absolutely bizarre. Got a bit of a mauling. It's worth looking up because it sounds like a really weird film. And she made, uh, she wrote Ricky and the Flash last year, which sort of came and went without much fanfare. Yeah. So maybe, but between them, there's some sort of synergy that makes great movies. Because Young Adult is a underrated, I hate using the word gem, it's a bit patronizing, but... Gem. It's a gem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have absolutely no details about this one, so I think the main point of this story is watch Young Adult if you haven't seen it. Yeah. It's a good movie to plop on. It's on Netflix, I believe. I've got a DVD of it if you want to borrow my DVD. Yeah. If you write in to Film Chat and we've never heard from you before and you listen regularly... Danny will lend you his DVD of Young Adult. And if you don't have Netflix, because then there's no point. Yeah. <laughs> Lending thing isn't... A f- people don't lend people stuff anymore. Well, Danny will lend you, as a listener... As a principal. <laughs> his DVD of Young Adult. Come on. Yeah, who wants it? <laughs> stuff for grabs. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. So Zootropolis, that's the latest movie I went on, an exciting solo mandate by myself to see. I like seeing children's films by myself because I'm a creep. <laughs> and um... I go during the Easter holiday. <laughs> I went to the... The bank holiday Monday, 2pm showing, pack screening. (laughs) Everyone else there was six. Families and Sam. So uh, this is a big Disney computer animated adventure. It's a talking animals film in the vein of some of their older movies like Robin Hood and The Jungle Book and stuff. And the kind of twist is that this is not a film in which animals are wild or a film in which animals are just in a human world. But it's a film in which they are civilized and they have built a world from scratch as if they were, you know, clever. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of idea. So like the uh, Zootropolis of the title or Zootopia, if you live in the United States, is a city which is constructed as if by animals rather than just like a human city with animals living in it. And it's a kind of melting pot of different cultures and creatures into which steps Judy hops who's a bunny rabbit from the country and she is becoming the first rabbit to be a police officer and you know faces some 
prejudice and backlash because um, most of the police force are predators. And here's a clip of Idris Elba playing a grouchy water buffalo police chief called Bogo, welcoming Judy to the force, sort of, and setting up the juicy crime mystery that will drive the plot. All right, everybody sit. I've got three items on the docket. First, we need to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Francine. Happy birthday. Number two. There are some new recruits with us I should introduce, but I'm not going to because I don't care. Finally, we have 14 missing mammal cases. All predators, from a giant polar bear to a teensy little otter. And City Hall is right up my tail to find them. This is priority number one. So it's really good. Really, really like Zootropolis. It's very ambitious. It feels like Pixar influenced. It feels like a movie where people saw that Pixar was setting the bar this high and were like, shit, you know, we've got to make movies like that now. Um, and it's unashamedly complex on a number of levels, both in the intricate design of the world and in the quite complex noirish plotting of the story uh, and thematically. And it's got a lot of like subtle moral messaging and cool themes but it also works like a children's film has to as a straightforward adventure filled with colorful talking critters and animal-based gags so it's very like bright and entertaining and pretty uh, for kids and adults can appreciate the really high level of craftsmanship that goes into it Um, and that's when movies work best for both you know generations of people rather than only appealing to adults because there's like a reference to that film that adults have seen you know the kind of shrek 2 approach so in those respects it kind of resembles pixar but it doesn't have the um, really tear-jerking emotional quality that the best pixar movies have but at the same time it is really really excellent so the world of zootropolis is really fascinating one of the coolest things about cartoons i think uh, is just their inventiveness and when they are full of little ideas that are pulled off with a plum and they have thought a lot about exactly how to build a city where loads of things are different sizes and they all need to live in different environments and they kind of explain that the city is like divided into sectors and they're different like uh, biomes and there's yeah. like the desert one and like the ice one and the rainforest one that all these different animals live in um and they have uh, cool little touches like the trains have like they're split into different layers so the different doors open depending on what size of animal is going to get in them yeah and things like that and it's just full of stuff like that which makes it constantly interesting to watch and it's always got engaging moments and like throwing these ideas in your face um and also because the standard for big studio animated movies is just so high visually or everything just looks incredible i feel like kids they don't care you know <laughs> it's like if you show a child like the old jungle book they're like you know they love it yeah. why does a child need like <laughs> you know eight billion hairs on a rat you know like <laughs> each moving independently in the wind waste on that child well it is it does seem kind of unnecessary but it's still very spectacular so you know great yeah. <laughs> spend millions and millions i don't mind uh when it looks that good so it's cool on that level and it also uh delivers on its ideas it's a very ideas driven film and the central message is basically about tolerance or learning to accept difference so the um, Zootropolis is this sort of melting pot city and is kind of a metaphor for America. And when Judy Hopps comes in, she is like, oh, I thought it was going to be this paradise world where all of these different kinds of people all live together and get along. But then she gets there and realizes that it's actually bickering and society has problems. 
Um, and the central opposition they set up is between predator animals and prey animals. So in this world, predators used to eat prey, and then basically all the animals grew up and became civilized, and now they live together in harmony, but that, there is still sort of an underlying tension. Yeah. And prey are like 90% of the population, and predators are only 10%, um, and that creates an imbalance. Mm. So whereas a lot of movies that are about tolerance um, or teaching you to accept difference, like a lot of films have that message, like a recent example is Wreck-It Ralph, which shares a director with this movie. But like Zootropolis goes a step further by having a lot of direct real-world analogs to specific kinds of racism and sexism. It's interesting because it's not just about accepting other people in general or just like a general kind of moral outlook. It's about the specific ways that people in society treat each other and how even well-intentioned, kind individuals can show unconscious biases or internalized prejudices in a way that creates conflict, which is quite a ambitious moral to sort of try to sell to yeah. children. And it does that really, really effectively. And it's kind of a pro-political correctness movie where political correctness is basically treating people how they want to be treated as opposed to the more normal and less nuanced moral of treat people how you would want to be treated. Mm. It's uh, it's just about respecting how other people feel. And I think that that's, that's just like a really cool idea for it to be tackling. And it does it remarkably well. But in general, the plot revolves around anti-predator prejudice. Um, and that is tied up in this sort of complex, noirish drugs plot thing. Which is has a lot of activity, the kind of plot. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely more complex than, than normal movies of this kind. Like, in Devin Farachi's review, he said that you could basically just make a real-world version of this movie and it would be, like, a relatively good noir crime thriller, <laughs> uh, which is kind of true. But it's it kind of... Because it's so ideas-driven and very plot-driven, it doesn't have the kind of story oomph um, that a movie like Inside Out has. So is it a starry cast? Yeah, the cast is really, really good. The main character, Judy Hobbs the Bunny, is played by Jennifer Goodwin, who I don't think is particularly well known. Oh, Jennifer! No, I don't know who that is. Um, and anyway, her the uh, the sort of main um, central dynamic of the movie is her relationship with this wily fox character, who's played by Jason Bateman. Basically, because Jason Bateman is really good at saying sarcastic, sneaky things. Absolutely. The coolest single moment, like the sort of moral message in the movie, is this bit where Jason Bateman, they're kind of, they don't bond at first and they bond later, you know, in classic fashion. Um, and when they're bonding later, uh, he explains that when he was growing up as a young fox, he wanted to be a sort of clean cut boy, like literally a boy scout. <laughs> but he was bullied by the other like prey guys mm. in the boy scout troop who just saw him as like a stupid fox. And then he realized that if society treats you as just a sly, cunning creature, then you might as well just become that. Yeah. And it's this sort of cool moment where it expresses how minorities who are oppressed can internalize the prejudices against them. And it's like, ah, oh, wow. that's a really interesting idea. The thing that I think is the most effective about the movie is because the lessons about discrimination that it's teaching are so specific, you can really imagine how a parent would um, use specific moments from this film to explain real-life instances of discrimination to their kids. Cool. And so it almost feels like the movie is doing a sort of public service because it's so easy to understand how news stories and, you know, uh, high-profile instances of racism and sexism can be explained to a child by like, oh, it's like that bit in Zootropolis when 
cool. they're on the tube and they don't trust the predators so like the mother kind of shuffles away from the line even though he's perfectly fine you know or whatever yeah and because that is such a good thing you're like you can't help but kind of cheer the movie cool but at the same time it's a very effective as just a children's adventure film and it's a lot of fun it's also very funny which i haven't really mentioned but it is like you know i was laughing i was yeah. laughing and chuckling throughout you surrounded by children were they laughing the children were laughing the parents were laughing <laughs> Sam was it was laughing. cacophonous laughter throughout the um theater yeah so i thoroughly thoroughly recommend it it doesn't like quite have the power of inside out i think but it tackles a different kind of subject um Ooh. in you know in an effective way so thumbs up Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Stop talking now. So enough of that fucking bullshit movie for kids. You know, I like to see foreign films. With adults. With adults. I went to see in the Curzon Soho a bunch of adults. Nice. I was like, this is what real cinema goers do. Uh, so the film I saw was Victoria, which you saw as well. You probably saw a bunch of children. That's your thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I watched it in my room on my laptop. But yes, there were a bunch of children here. Um, this is a German film. It's directed by Sebastian Schipper. And written by Sebastian Schipper, Oliver Niergard Holm, and Ike Frederick Schotz, the three most German writers that he could find in terms of name. The film is best experienced going in uh, completely fresh. I'm going to give a quite vague synopsis. So, uh, main character Victoria is this young 20 something Spanish woman living in Berlin and working at a cafe. The film starts with her at an underground club. And as she leaves, she bumps into a group of four lads on a night out, and uh, they're out uh, celebrating one of the gang's birthdays. She befriends the, the lads, particularly the de facto leader, Son, and they sort of wander about Berlin and hang out. And from this point, the drama ramps up in an unexpected and exciting way. And the big hook of this movie is that shot in one continuous take. Mm. No wipe cuts or fades or cgi messing just one take yeah it's not a bullshit one take movie like birdman but a real one take movie exactly so i really like this film do you like this film sam i really liked it it was really good i think i was actually watching it in quite a good i'm sure like seeing the cinema is you know best but i was watching it quite late i meant to watch it yesterday evening and then like the evening kind of dragged on so it didn't start till later than i should have and so I was sort of sitting in my darkened room, hunched on my laptop, like wearing headphones in this like really dark, intense film with like a single take. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's quite powerful. Yes. The, right from the off, I should say, I think the single take thing completely works. Definitely. Yeah. And it's never a gimmick. And big, long tracking shots can either be really effective in films or slight distancing because sometimes they're serving the story and sometimes it's a bit of a sort of dick waving director move of like look how cool my shot is but i think it really works this film because the story is uh i could probably best express it as it's like a sort of crazy night out where you wake up in the morning hungover and like how did i end up there we didn't start off so simply yeah and that sort of uh the way scenes flow into each other through this one continuous shot just completely expresses that idea so i thought that was a huge success and uh the one take nature of the film gives it a vibrancy and urgency that is just pretty unique 
because of it's the way it's made. And a lot of reviewers have made comparisons to Richard Linklater because there's a sort of hanging out vibe to the opening stretch of the movie. And it's a bit like the Before Sunrise films and it's just cool young people hanging out and shooting yeah. the shit. Like nothing is really happening. They're just sort of chatting and Yeah, but it's around. just really charming because it's, you know, it's just it's like very real natural life. and yeah. Exactly. But it, also, it reminded me of Boyhood in that the unique filming conditions of the film give it a certain quality which is just unmatched and you kind of have to see it to experience it yeah definitely and uh, so apparently the script was only 12 pages did a bit of uh, research and all the dialogue was improvised uh but they did do free takes free attempts it to must do have it. been re- rehearsed to death this film yeah because the, the choreography is like quite intricate so yeah it's you can't help but marvel at the sort of technical achievement of it and the performances are really enthralling, and they have this uh, easy charisma. They completely convince his old buddies. And Frederick Lau, who plays Son, is particularly good. He's this young German actor who was in The Wave. Anyone seen that movie? Which is also very good. And uh, Leia Costa, who is Victoria, they're both quite enigmatic performers, which kind of suits the mood of the film because I found it a little hard to place. And. Because it's you just get these characters for two hours and it's literally the two hours you spend with them. What made it kind of interesting was like, I wasn't quite sure what film I was watching at any one point or yeah. who the characters kind of were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when they make decisions, you're like, oh, she's that kind of character or he's that kind of character. And then they make another decision and it's like, you know, s- someone's not a summation of their decisions in two hours. That's not like you're not getting the whole piece. You're just sort of getting a... Yeah, I think one of the sort of tricks the movie performs is that every time that they make a new decision, you feel you're seeing a new facet of a single person rather than something that contradicts something that happened previously. Yeah. It's really effective character building, which also drives the plot in a way. Because the thing that makes the opening scenes interesting and tense, even though nothing is really happening, is that just the setting of this young... She's very, like, carefree and, like, bubbly and vulnerable. Yeah. Um, And she comes at this nightclub by herself, and there's immediately these four guys who are kind of lounging around on a car, which they are obviously trying to steal, <laughs> um, and kind of chatting her up, and she sort of goes off with them. And so the first thing you're thinking is, like, are they going to turn out to be, like, you know, dicks? Yeah. Are they going to do something to her? Like, is it safe? You know, like it's the sort of thing where if that was your friend, she'd be like, don't fucking, what are you doing? You know, go home. So that adds a certain amount of tension to those opening scenes, even though uh, there's nothing like really going on. Then once you kind of understand a little bit more about the relationships between those characters, then it introduces new elements to, to, to bring tension and to make you wonder about how they're going to react to this new situation. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's hard to categorize because it's a very, realistic style and that because it's one take and there's all these improvised dialogue but the plot is quite genre at times mm. uh so it's an interesting mix of very realistic and also heightened drama and there is a point in the movie where it shifts in tone slightly and i feel that if it hadn't been one take you might it might lose you as an audience but because it's one take everything is so continuous so you know, you've gone from one scene of a certain tone to a, a scene of a completely different tone, but you saw it transition from that. So you're like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Whereas if there'd been a cut, you'd be like, oh, you know, the director's lost the plot or something. Yeah, and I think that's true. I also think that it takes you through those moments, through the performances and the characters. Yeah. Because the characters remain uh, believable psychologically, even when they go into these different kinds of situations, which might seem like they're from a different movie. Yeah. It's not like they suddenly become characters from those movies, but they just like 
they inhabit that moment and so even though as an audience you're like this is weird like that's what the characters are thinking as well so it kind of works on that basis well exactly the film is so in the moment that you you're just sort of with it at the time and even when i fall back on it I, there's some very clever um seeds are sown in the opening half yeah, some really good off. foreshadowing yeah I saw it this morning. I still haven't quite got my head around it, apart from the fact that I really, really enjoyed it. I think there's something but... quite satisfying about um, like having moments that seem like meaningless improvised chit-chat, and then that like comes up later. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I'm watching a very carefully crafted story, not just a technical <laughs> like marvel of choreography. Yeah. I thought um, maybe in time I'd think this is a stupid opinion, but uh, <laughs> the film operates as almost like uh, everyone's had like a sort of you know drunken night or a night that went in a sort of crazy direction mm. and it's like that experience writ large and with but we've taken a few genre liberties mm. but there's a psychological realism to everything that grounds it all there's something quite spaced out about watching it the way that it just doesn't stop you know and the way that it time it sort of dilates time a bit in a way that makes you almost you know feel drunk watching it and the other thing i really liked about the the one take thing is that the action ramps up as the movie goes along and by the end the characters are exhausted because they've been through all this shit but the actors are exhausted as well because it must be yeah very tiring it's like an emotional journey plus you're running about berlin all the time and also the person behind the camera must be exhausted <laughs> because they've got to carry the steady cam Well, like he's the hours. first credit on the credits. Yeah, yeah. The camera person like... is the first person who comes up and it's like, it's an incredible performance by the camera person. <laughs> I yeah. would highly recommend it. You've got to, it's got to be experienced. Yeah. You check it out the Curzon So because they need your patronage. Yeah. Or download it on the Curzon Home Cinema website. Or do that. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my asses I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat so another item of news this week was that DC and Warner Brothers appear to be reacting to the generally unfavorable reaction to the like miserable po-faced nature of Batman v Superman. And they are going and doing massive reshoots on Suicide Squad, which is their next superhero movie coming out this August, to add more fun. They're more adding more fun. jokes. People reacted very well to the Suicide Squad trailer with Bohemian Rhapsody in it, and uh, Deadpool was a recent uh, massive hit that almost made as much money as Batman v Superman despite having a, a small budget, and that was very irreverent. So, um, so yeah, they're going back. So Suicide Squad, for the unfamiliar, is a collection of DC supervillains who are brought together and have to go on adventures. So they're kind of like, it's like an anti-hero film. It's like a sort of Dirty Dozens style premise. Exactly, it's the Dirty Dozen in a superhero setting. So um, here's a few of the jokes that they're inserting, for example. Basically, it's going to be a lot of kiss-off lines. Cool. So every death in the movie, they're going back and reshooting it, and then the person who killed someone says a funny thing. Brilliant. So the leader of the Suicide Squad is called Rick Flagg, and every time he shoots his gun, he says, Salute this! So they're ADRing a lot of him saying, Salute this! Like, all the time when he shoots (laughs) his gun, which is going to be funny. There's a character called Captain Boomerang, that's a joke immediately in and of itself. But they already had that one in. 
And now every time he kills someone, he says, you're waltzing Matilda dead. <laughs> or maybe just before, because once they're dead, it's no point saying Brilliant. that. Brilliant. And the other thing is that there's a bit in the movie where Killer Croc, who's like a crocodile man, he's killed himself <laughs> by the Joker. And the Joker says, your luggage in a kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. Nice. And then later on, it turns out that Killer Croc survived. And then the Joker kills him again. And this time the Joker says, you're a kind of lightweight foam clog. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Which also will bring the house down. Marvellous. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, so you can look forward to those in Suicide Squad. Well, it's funny you should mention this because obviously the, the critical reaction, DC are doing a bit of course correction. Yeah. And originally there was talks of a 18-rated cut of uh, Batman v Superman released on Blu-ray. I guess to cash in on the R-rated Deadpool money. Yeah. But they're like, people don't want to see that. And the erotic technique of Zack Snyder. They want uh, jokes. They want fun. They want uh, to make it enjoyable. So they've gone back to make Batman v Superman more more the romp it should be. Yeah. And they've taken three different approaches. The first one... It's just recontextualizing the film. Because there are jokes in there, but the mood is so dour that the audience didn't know to laugh or not. No, you're just crying because that's the mood of the film, even though there are jokes. So this first clip is them attempting to key the audience into the tone. Sorry. Sorry. No match. My guys in the crime lab never seen one before. It's called a bullet. You shoot people with it. Recovered from the scene of the firefight in the desert. Not sold anywhere commercially in the world, even Black Market. So? So who gave prototype military rounds to Tarek fighters in the Sahara? The ask, Lois. Now that's funny. That's funny. That's very funny. And the second idea is to include a comedy psychic character. I don't know why they didn't do that. That's a no-brainer. But luckily with today's technology, they can just put them straight in there in all the scenes. They didn't need to reshoot anything. No, 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 no. They just plop them in. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, this scene features um, Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt playing Robin. He plays Robin. Yeah. I don't know if he's Batman's sidekick or just someone who's called Robin. What's your position, the Bat Vigilante in Gotham? Daily Planet. Wait, do I own this one? Or is that the other guy? Civil liberties are being trampled on in your city. Good people living in fear. The only thing they're afraid of is that Zayn Malik's solo album will suck. Don't believe everything you hear, son. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. Funny. That's what your mom said last night. The context was sexual. (laughs) Most of the world doesn't share your opinion, Mr. Wayne. Most of the world thinks Whoopi Goldberg is the best co-host of The View, when it's obviously Raven Cinema. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's much funnier now. And to play us out is the third and final technique to make an audience laugh, which is obviously... The cheese cutting moment. To add farting, Sam. Yes. So that will, clip will play us out. We'll see you all next week. We won't see you. We'll be we'll, here. You'll hear us you'll next hear week. You'll hear us next week. Yeah. We're going to review Midnight Special. Yeah, probably Midnight Special. Maybe something else. Maybe Hardcore Henry. Maybe Ran. Maybe Ran. Kurosawa film. It's, it's going to be a great. lot. It's going to be good. It's going to be a great week. See you then. Bye. Bye. Next time they shine your light in the sky, don't go to it. The bat is dead. Bury it. Consider this mercy. Tell me. Do you bleed?
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 